This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Today we're going to begin a study on the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a most fascinating book. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel basically cover history, the account of Daniel and his three friends, the things that happened to them. The last six chapters of Daniel, though, are prophecy. The prophetic part of the book covers the time from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, until the time of the Roman Empire. So let's begin looking at the background of the book and a basic overview of the book of Daniel today, an introduction to the book of Daniel. First of all, we want to look at some outstanding information that is given in the book of Daniel. First of all, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, we see that God is exalted and that he rules in the kingdom of men. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. It says here, the matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. That goes right back to we need to obey the laws of the land. Now whether those, if those laws do not contradict what God's law tells us. And that takes us over to Romans chapter 7. And we want to begin reading there, or excuse me, Romans chapter 7, or chapter 13. I'll get it right here in a minute. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, as we just saw in Daniel chapter 4, verse 2 of Romans 13. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the saint. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now verse 5. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So again, God rules in the kingdoms of men, and we are to obey the laws of the land. Again, once again, make certain, though as long as man's law does not contradict or disobey God's law, we can obey those laws. But if God's law is contradicted or disobeyed by man's law, then we cannot obey that law of man. When we go to the New Testament, we look in the book of Acts chapter 5. 
the book of Acts. We're going to be looking there in chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, here we see down in verse 27, and this is after that the apostles had been released and they went and they taught about Christ whether they've been told to or they've been told not to. But anyway, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you fill Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29 of Acts 5 says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. That must always be the case. Obedience to God rather than obedience to man. And then when we look down in verse 40 of that same chapter, it says to him, this is to Gamaliel, they agreed, and this is the council, the they there, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So here again, they were commanded, and they were punished this time. But verse 41 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So there is just an example of when God's law is disobeyed by man's law, we ought to obey God rather than than men. Daniel sets forth the universal perspective of prophecy in Daniel chapter 4. Let's look at verses 7 through 12. Daniel 4, 7 through 12. It says, Then came in the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. And this is Nebuchadnezzar who's speaking here. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. And the tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof unto the end of the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the air dwelt in the boughs thereof. So in these verses we see that God is the one who is behind prophecy, behind true prophecy. You know, we know from looking at Ezekiel, we saw several times in the book of Jeremiah and in Ezekiel as well as we studied that book, that there were false prophets who were not from God. They were teaching error. 
But the universal perspective of prophecy here, we see that true prophecy comes from God. And Daniel was able to interpret those visions or the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had because of God. So God is behind all prophecy, all true prophecy. Also, we see in Daniel chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, that God uses all kinds of men to do his will. Daniel chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> this is speaking of Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him, and he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. So then we see... You know, going back to what we're looking at here, God uses all kinds of men to do his will. Nebuchadnezzar is called the servant of God in the book of Jeremiah. He came and did what God wanted him to do. And yet we see here Nebuchadnezzar was a man whose heart was lifted up with pride. And yet God used him to bring the Jews into captivity. So God uses all kinds of men to do his will. But also Daniel shows that faithfulness to God is worth everything. And there are several places that we could go to, but we're not going to do that because of time constraints. But whenever Daniel <clears throat> requested that they be given beans or pulse to eat instead of, instead of the king's food and the king's wine, Daniel was being faithful to God. Whenever Daniel was sent to the lion's den, it was because he was faithful to God. Whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were sent to the fiery furnace, it was because they were faithful to God. So faithfulness to God is worth everything. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10 and look at verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to look in verse 28 it says there and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell so we are to fear God faithfulness to God is what is worth everything that is the utmost in our lives but also Daniel is a great example of what man is before God. Daniel chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Daniel 10, 7 and 8. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. 
So again, that's an example of what we are before God. Daniel's such a great and faithful man. And yet, whenever he saw this vision, there was no strength left in him. And those others that were with him fled to hide themselves. You know, whenever the scriptures say it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Daniel was afraid because he was before God. And we think about it, he was a faithful man. So how should we be before God? Now let's take a look at the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is written in two languages. It is written in Hebrew and in Aramaic. The Hebrew portion of the book of Daniel is from Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 3 and then chapters 8 through 12. The Hebrew language is the language of the Hebrews to the Hebrews. And I'll give you that part again. Daniel 1, 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, and then chapters 8 through 12. The Aramaic portion of the book of Daniel is from chapter 2, verse 4, to chapter 7, verse 28. Chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 7, verse 28. That is the language of Mesopotamia to the Gentiles, and Babylon was located in the land of Mesopotamia. The book covers about 70 years in the life of Daniel, from his capture to the conquering of Babylon and the return of the Jews from captivity. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, Daniel 1 1 it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it that was 606 BC that is the time whenever Daniel was captured and taken into captivity to Babylon in Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a thing was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision. The third year of Cyrus the king of Babylon would have been 535 BC. 535 BC, or excuse me, 539 BC. Not 535, but 539 BC. So we have here again about 70 years of the life of Daniel is shown. Now there are alleged discrepancies that people f say that they find in the book of Daniel. One of those is Daniel 1.1 as compared to Jeremiah 
Now let's go back and read Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now let's go to Jeremiah 46, verse 2. Jeremiah 46, verse 2. It says, Against Egypt, against the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates, and Carchemish with Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, smote in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. So that says the fourth year. Daniel here says the third year, in the third year, whenever these things took place. Well, is there an explanation for that? And the answer is yes. Daniel reckoned time by Babylonian standards. That is full years. Jeremiah reckoned time by Jewish standards, like three days and three nights would be three there. I want to give you some examples here. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. He says, He answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, let's look at this just a little bit here. Three days and three nights. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He, was, he died Friday afternoon about 3 o'clock. Jesus was raised from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Well, then that was not a full 24 hours every day, three days, but it was part of Friday, all of Saturday, and part of Sunday. That's the Jewish reckoning. Three days there and three nights. Whenever we look in Luke 23, look at verses 44 to 46. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 46. It says there, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having th said thus, he gave up the ghost. So Jesus here died according to what Luke says about the ninth hour of the day, which in Jewish time would be three in the afternoon. We look in John chapter 19, verses 30 to 33. John 9, 19, 30 to 33. It says there, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. 
The Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that he might, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. But whenever they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. And but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, forthwith there came out blood and water. John 19, 30-33. So we see in John 20 now, chapter 1, so Jesus died there. That's just giving the account of his death. Now in John 20 says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, while it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. So right there we see that Jesus was raised early Sunday morning before the sun had come up. So he died on that Friday afternoon about 3 o'clock. He was in the grave that part of Friday, all of Saturday, and then Sunday morning before the sun came up, while it was yet dark, he was raised from the dead. And we see in just in verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. So Jesus was raised there on the first day of the week, but it was before the sun came up. So the Jews reckoned Days like that. It was part of Friday, part of, all of Saturday, part of Sunday. That was three days. The Babylonians, going back to what we're looking at in the comparison there between Daniel and Jeremiah, the Babylonians were full years. There is such perfect history that is given in the prophecies of Daniel the critics say that Daniel had to be written at the time of the Maccabees and possibly even later. Now, what are those prophecies talking about? The prophecies that Daniel is going to give there in those last six chapters are prophecies that are concerning the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and many factual events that occurred in the time between the Testaments. You know, the people will say, well, there's this gap here between the book of Nehemiah and the book of Matthew, or whenever the Gospels were written. But there is no gap. The book of Daniel, the last six chapters of Daniel, fill in that gap for us in prophecy. And we will see that whenever we get to that part of the book. But such is the nature of inspired prophecy. God knows what is going to happen. Romans 4, 17. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. It says there, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which, which be not, as though they were. So God sees what is going to happen. God calls those things that have not happened yet as if they had already happened. And that's what God did in the last six chapters there of the book of Daniel. In Second Peter, look at chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Second Peter, chapter 1, 
verses 20 and 21. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Right there it shows that Daniel was able to prophesy such minute details of what was going to happen because he was moved by the Holy Spirit to write those things down. To write those things down. Now let's look at the historical setting of the book of Daniel. The historical setting. God warned Israel that they would fail if they were disobedient. First of all, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. It says there, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So God is giving them the warning. Now let's drop down to verses 49 and 50 of Deuteronomy chapter 28. It says, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth. A nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old nor show favor to the young. If Israel did not obey God, they would be conquered. They would be taken into captivity. Now back to the historical setting. Assyria had been the world empire. Israel was conquered in 721-722 B.C., and they were taken into captivity at that time. In 2 Kings chapter 17, look at verses 1 through 6. 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began Hoshea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Now verse 3. Against him came up Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria, verse 5, came up throughout all the land and went up, through, up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria, and placed them in Halah and in Habor by the river Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. For it was so, 
that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. So we're looking at 721 to 722 B.C. Assyria then came against King Hezekiah in Jerusalem about 701 B.C., or about 20 years later. We go to the book now of Second Chronicles, chapter 32. Second Chronicles, chapter 32, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Second Chronicles 32, 1 and two. After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib king of Assyria came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed, or purposed excuse me there, to fight against Jerusalem. Now go ahead and read verse three. He took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. I also want to go back to the book of Second Kings, now chapter 18, verse 13. 2 Kings 18, 13. It says, Now in the fourteenth year, of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And then 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. This shows whenever the Assyrian army was destroyed by God. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, or a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So their God destroyed the Assyrian army. But before that happened, Sennacherib left an inscription that speaks of his capturing 46 cities in the land of Judah. And he refers to Hezekiah as a bird locked up in a cage. But then, of course, God took care of that situation. Well, Babylon defeated the Assyrians at Nineveh in 612 B.C. He defeated the Assyrians at Haran in 609 B.C. He finished off the Assyrians at Carchemish in 606 B.C. And of course that is when, or when Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem. Now the question then becomes, why did Nebuchadnezzar come down to Jerusalem in 606 B.C.? Why did he go there? Well, it was God's plan to use Nebuchadnezzar to punish Judah. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, and we're going to look at verse 9. Jeremiah, chapter 25, verse 9. We'll read verses 8 and 9. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, 
because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, will I bring them against this land, or and will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and an hissing, and perpetual desolations. You know, here Nebuchadnezzar is called the servant of God. We go back and look at one of the former points that God uses all kinds of men to do his will. And this is one example of that. But also, he knew there was treasure in Jerusalem. He knew it was there. In 2 Kings chapter 20, look at verses 12 to 18. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 12 to through 18. It says there, At that time, Baradak Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And we're looking now around the time period of 712 B.C. Verse 13, And Hezekiah hearkened unto them, and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver, and the gold, and the spices, and the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasure. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. So he knew there was treasure there. Now let's read verses 14 through 18 of 2 Kings 20. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto the king Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men, and from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Now verse 16. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day, shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So it was prophesied here by Isaiah that that would take place. God would use Nebuchadnezzar to punish Jerusalem there. And even though it was a little over a hundred years later, they still knew of the treasures that were there. They still knew. Now the first group of captives go to Babylon. We want to go to Second Chronicles 35, verses 20 to 24. Second Chronicles chapter 35, verses 20 to 24. And again, this is the first group of captives that are going there. Verse 20 says, 
chapter 35, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish, or came up to fight there at Carchemish, by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I am not come up against, I am not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but he disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearken not to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot, put him into the second chariot that he had, and brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. So here we have Necho, the king of Egypt, going up in the battle. We go back, we're looking at some of the things that were taking place. Now look at chapter 36 of Second Chronicles, verses 1 through 7. Second Chronicles 36, 1 through 7. And this is about 617 B.C. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's stead in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 20 years old. When he began to reign, he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And a king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem and condemned or fined the land in a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And a king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem and turned or changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz his brother and carried him to Egypt. Now we come to 606. Not at the beginning, but here in the 11 years they're talking about. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him to Babylon. Verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar also carried the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. It is here in 606 B.C. whenever Daniel was taken into captivity, whenever King Jehoiakim was taken into captivity. We look at Daniel chapter 1 again, verses 1 and 2 now. Daniel 1, 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So in this first siege of Jerusalem, it doesn't look like there was any battle to take the city. Nebuchadnezzar just marched in and took what he wanted. And among that that Nebuchadnezzar took was the nobility. 
Look at Daniel chapter 1, now verses 3 through 7. Daniel 1, 3 through 7. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. That's the royalty. Verse 4, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability to, or in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now verse 5, And the Lord appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he named, or gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and of Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. So here we see those of the king's seed taken to Babylon. And you recall that Isaiah told Hezekiah that his seed would become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Babylon, or Nebuchadnezzar there, took of the king's seed, or the seed royal. Now a basic overview of the book of Daniel. A basic overview. Chapters 1 through 6 tell of events in the lives of Daniel and his three friends. Chapter 1, Daniel and his friends are preparing to serve the king. And then we see God's blessings that God gives to them. In chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great image and the interpretation of the dream. In chapter 3, we see the fiery furnace. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 4, we will see Nebuchadnezzar's second dream and his madness. In chapter 5, we will see Belshazzar's feast. Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon. In chapter 6, after the Medes and Persians had captured Babylon, we see Daniel and the lion's den. And again, as we mentioned before, chapters 7 through 12 are prophetic. Among the main things that we will see in those chapters, chapter 7 is Daniel's vision of the four beasts. In chapter 8, Daniel's vision of the ram and the he-goat. Chapter 9, Daniel's prayer and the 70 weeks. And in chapters 10 through 12, we see Daniel's vision of the Jewish nation in the latter days. The book of Daniel is classified in the English Bible as one of the major prophets. Of course, the major prophets are just longer writings, 
You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, of course, Lamentations included with Jeremiah. And then we have Daniel and Ezekiel. These are just the major writings, longer writings than we call the minor prophets. They're the last 12 of the Old Testament. The book is written again in two languages we don't want to forget, Aramaic and in Hebrew. It is believed that Daniel is the one that wrote the book. No one would be in a better position to know the facts set forth in Daniel, but of course it being written by inspiration. God would know that. Now going back to what critics say, that the book of Daniel had to be written later. The view holding to the Maccabean origin of Daniel rests on the assumption that the book cannot predict the future. If that was true, it would be necessary to give the date a book a far later date because some of the facts it contains could not have been written at all even during the time of the Maccabees. Now there is sufficient evidence that prophets did prophesy of the future. Of course, God being behind the prophecies. But happily, we know more about Daniel's personal history than we do any other prophet, including the fact that he was of royal descent. He was among the group of young princes carried to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar during Jehoiakim's reign in 606 B.C. When Nebuchadnezzar ascended to the throne the following year, Daniel was probably in his late teens. And he couldn't have been much younger than Nebuchadnezzar the king himself. In Daniel, we have a prophet who lived through the entire period of the captivity. And even as an old man, was still given a high position in the Persian Empire. So that's just one of the blessings that we see for Daniel. The facts in the book of Daniel have found full corroboration in modern discoveries. For example, that Belshazzar ruled jointly with his father Nabonidus and was grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Other discoveries have brought to light the inscriptions dealing with the times of Nebuchadnezzar, Nabonidus, and Cyrus. Daniel is preeminently the prophet of the times of the Gentiles. In this prophecy, we have a new view of what would take, be taking place in the future, as we saw before. Jesus quoted from the book of Daniel, in his great prophetic discourse in Matthew chapter 24 with references to the great tribulation which he placed immediately there in that generation whenever Jerusalem would be destroyed but he talks about there in Matthew chapter 24 again this talks about the destruction of Jerusalem but in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus there as he's going out of the temple in verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. 
That's what the Romans did in A.D. 70. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And among one of those signs there for the destruction of Jerusalem is verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes again. And woe with them that be with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Verse 20, But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. We know that that's not talking about a second coming of Christ on the last day. Because what good would it do to flee to the mountains or why, why would it matter if it was in the winter? Why would it matter if someone had a young child? Why would it matter if you told not to go get your clothing? That's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and that is one of the signs that Jesus uses to show that that's going to happen in his day, in his generation. Jesus, of course, would die there around A.D. 30 to 33, the destruction of Jerusalem taking place about 40 years later. But the book of Daniel, it's a wonderful book. It consists of stories of human courage, of steadfastness, and faithfulness to God, no matter what the outcome might be. There are stories also, though, of human pride and the downfall that comes from it. We see God's plan as he works through the kingdoms of men. The book of Daniel contains prophecies that help us understand what happened in the history of the Jews between the prophesying of Malachi and the coming of John the baptizer. The better we understand the book of Daniel, the better we will understand the New Testament of Jesus Christ. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.